Welcome to the First Baptist Dallas Spring Training Program, our annual Spiritual Disciplines Challenge designed to help you grow in your faith. What are you waiting for? A disciple's journey starts now. Welcome back to our Spring Training Weekly Check-In Podcast. I'm Ben LaVorne. I'm the Executive Pastor here at First Baptist Dallas, and we're in week two of A Disciple's Journey. It's had us as we continuing to make our way through the Gospel of Mark this week, and we read chapter 6 to 10. In these chapters, we really see Peter take a big leap forward in his understanding of what it means to be Christ's disciple. And we're learning, along with Peter, what Christ is calling each of us to do as we follow him. So let's get started. In these five chapters, Jesus introduces his disciples to five different aspects of what it means to follow him. So let me tell you first what those five things are, and then we'll dig a little deeper into each one and see how we can play this out in our lives. First, following Jesus means imitating him. Second, following Jesus means making war on sin. Third, following Jesus means serving others. Fourth, following Jesus means losing your life. And fifth, following Jesus means gaining everything. Together, these five things, these five aspects of discipleship paint a picture of what the disciples' journey requires from us and what it promises to us. The first thing that we learned this week when we got to Mark chapter 6 was that following Jesus means imitating him. For the first five chapters of Mark, Peter has been following along closely with Jesus, mostly as a spectator. He's been watching Jesus' work, seeing how he does things. Peter has been learning more and more about the identity of Jesus. But in chapter 6 of Mark's gospel, there's a big turn. Following Jesus doesn't mean being a fan of Jesus, just being a, a spectator of his works or a consumer of his content. Following Jesus requires action. It means getting up off the sidelines and getting into the game. It means doing what Jesus does the way that Jesus does it. So just imagine how Peter must have felt, what a revolution in his world it must have been when Jesus told the twelve to go out two by two, and when he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They weren't even allowed to take any supplies with them, no food, no money, not even an extra change of clothes. He gave them a few instructions about what to do, depending on whether they were accepted or whether they were rejected as they visited these various cities, and that was really it. Sink or swim, but go to work. So we're told that Peter and the disciples, they did three things. They proclaimed that people should repent, they cast out demons, and they healed people. Now keep in mind that shortly before this, Peter was just a struggling fisherman. But these are the same three things that Jesus himself had been doing and that he would continue to do throughout his ministry. So being a disciple of Jesus, being his follower, means doing what he does. It means imitating him. But that's not just true in this specific instance of this special charge that was given to the disciples. That's also true of us. We are supposed to do what Jesus did, and we are supposed to live like Jesus lived. For example, later, when the apostles returned from their trip, he told them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 
And this was exactly what Jesus himself had done after a busy season of ministry that involved preaching, healing, and casting out demons back in chapter 1. So we too are to follow the models that Jesus established for us. We have to realize that we're called to live like Jesus and be like Jesus. It's not like being a Dallas Cowboys fan. All they ask you to do is to buy a ticket, sit in the stands, and munch on popcorn while you cheer on the guys doing all the hard work. That's more really like what the Pharisees did. They said, sit back and watch us, the holy people. But that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is like signing up to train with a master climber who's going to show you how to climb Mount Everest. He'll teach you the ropes, but then he expects you to start making your way up the mountain, climbing up the same paths that he has climbed. Now, second, we learn in this week's readings that following Jesus means making war on sin, making war on sin. In Mark 7, Jesus has a conflict with the Pharisees over hand washing. Jesus' disciples ate a meal without washing their hands. And this offended the Pharisees because their traditions included ritual washings of the hands, the body, even the cups, pots, containers, and couches. But Jesus pointed out the irony here. The Pharisees were zealous to be clean on the outside, but on the inside, in the heart, they remained very filthy. The Pharisees thought they could be clean merely by running some water over their hands, but Jesus said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So when our hearts are sinful, they're going to generate evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's Mark 7, 21 and 22. These are what actually defile someone. So Jesus wasn't saying that there's anything wrong with washing your hands before you eat. He was showing his disciples not to miss the greater thing for the lesser thing. The greater thing, the most important thing, is that our hearts be made clean before God. And once this happens, the rest will fall into order. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to begin to root out sinful desires from our hearts. We have to work on cleaning the inside. We have to learn to love and desire the right things. That may involve some extreme measures at times. It may even mean giving up good things in order to pursue the great things. In Mark 9, 43 through 48, Jesus takes this to an extreme. He says, if your hand, your foot, or your eye causes you to sin, Jesus has a harsh solution. Cut them off. Pluck them out. Losing a part of your body would certainly be horrible, but maintaining the wholeness of your body at the cost of your soul is not even worth it. Better to be ruthless against ourselves now, to make total war against sin now, than to experience God's judgment later. Many people today, many people who call themselves Christians today want to follow a Jesus who loves but never judges, who encourages but never chastises, who affirms but never condemns. They want to remake Jesus into a nice, non-judgmental teacher who just wanted everyone to be happy and everyone to get along. But that's not the real Jesus. The disciples' journey requires making war on the sin in our lives. And that involves not just changing our behavior, but asking for a clean and renewed heart. Third, we saw this week that following Jesus means serving others. 
In Mark 9.35, Jesus tells the disciples, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is so counterintuitive to how we tend to think. Our culture gives us permission and really even encourages us to focus on ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to treat ourselves, to take pictures and tell stories about ourselves. But Jesus tells us that to be first, we need to make ourselves last. We need to put ourselves at the end of the line. We need to serve instead of being served. The third aspect that we just talked about, the third aspect of discipleship is in fact closely related to the fourth thing that we learn about this week. That following Jesus means losing your life. Following Jesus means losing your life. Service and losing your life are linked together. In Mark 10, 43 and 44, Jesus says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only did Jesus tell us to serve, but he took it a step further. He modeled what it is to serve by serving us, even to the point of giving his life for us. Jesus didn't ask us to do something that he wasn't willing to do. He asked us to do something that he was in the process of doing, even to a greater degree and in a greater way that we could even fathom. As Paul explained in Philippians 2, Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he willingly took on the form of a servant and he poured himself out for us by suffering and dying for our sins. Jesus says the same thing in Mark 8, specifically about bearing the weight of the cross. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, Mark 8, 34. There is a high cost to following Jesus. It's going to take everything that you have. It's going to take your entire life. So at this point, I think I know what you're thinking. You're going, okay, Ben, I hear you. It's hard. Following Jesus is costly. But what's the good news? Is the disciples' journey like walking the plane? Is it all pain and no gain? Well, if we stopped here, we wouldn't have the full picture. Along with the cost of discipleship, Jesus also begins to unfold the promised future of those who would follow him. The fifth aspect of discipleship is that following Jesus means gaining everything. For all that we are called to give up, it pales in comparison to all that we can hope to gain. After telling his disciples to take up their cross, Jesus begins to explain why. It was through this kind of death that they would save their lives. It was through giving up the world that they would gain their souls. Jesus told them, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Mark 8, 35-37. There is death. Death to the old self. Death to the world. Death to our old ways. But Jesus teaches us that life comes through this death. That is the great promise of the disciples' journey. In the resurrecting power of Jesus, death is not the end. It's the path that leads to life. In chapter 10, Peter told Jesus, See, we have left everything and we have followed you. But Jesus reminded Peter of this great promise. 
Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. There is a sure promise of blessing and eternal life when we follow Christ. So I want to encourage you today, if you've been feeling like the disciples journey is hard, like living a life of faith is hard, then let me just encourage you that yes, you're probably doing this right. Following Jesus fully and rightly can be hard. Putting sin to death is hard. Putting selfishness to death is hard. Putting our own desires and our own plans for our lives in submission to God's desires and plans is hard at first, but it comes with a blessing and it comes with a promise of eternal life. Jesus has not called us to a suicide mission. He knows and wants what's best for us. So these old things must die in us in order for us to truly live. He is calling us from sin and selfishness and into an abounding, abundant life in Him. The way is not easy, it's not safe, but we can trust that it is good, that God will be with us and that we will find joy in our souls as we seek Jesus Christ forever. So keep on pressing on, my friends. I'll talk to you next week as we tackle week three of the disciples' journey.